0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and I hope you're having a great day. What an interesting night. Uh, Donald Trump declares for president, and it was an extraordinary speech uh, last night, and we'll talk about that. Uh, We'll talk about that, I think, at the end of the program. Uh, First, I want to spend these first few moments talking about something so important that's happened that will be lost and that is that, uh, on, uh, Wednesday, excuse me, uh, yeah, on, on, um, I guess it was on Tuesday. Uh, so one week after the midterm elections on Tuesday, uh, the 15th of, uh, November, there was a hearing in the House. And uh, Director Ray was finally, uh, was again before the committee. It had been before, but it was delayed till after the election. I wonder why. And he was asked a lot of questions um, about um, lots of things. But here was an exchange with Congressman Clay Higgins of Louisiana, Republican. He said about the, he was asking uh, Christopher Ray about the January 6, 2021 riot. And here's Clay Higgins, the congressman says, quote, did the FBI have confidential human sources embedded within January 6 pro protesters on january 6th of 2021 ray said that he couldn't ray answered by saying that the fbi didn't cause the january 6th incident and then higgins followed up and said i'm not saying this is i'm paraphrasing now i'll get to the quote i'll tell you when it's quoted he said i'm not i'm saying i'm not asking you about that i'm not saying did you uh, cause it he said i'm asking you if the FBI's confidential human sources, quote, FBI's FBI's confidential human sources or FBI employees in some way orchestrated January 6th. And he said that's categorically false. This is Ray still. Higgins said, well, again, if I'm asking if human FBI human sources were dressed up as Trump supporters. And Ray said, again, I have to be very careful. And Higgins said, the answer should be no. Can you not tell the American people? No, we did not have confidential human sources dressed up as Trump supporters positioned inside the Capitol on January 6th, end quote. Think about this. This is the director of the FBI. He's now admitted under oath. He's admitted two things. A few months ago, he admitted that Ray Epps was a source for the FBI. Why? Because he refused to deny it. If you're under oath and someone says, is this um, is Ray Epps a part of your team? If he's not a part of your team, you say, no, he's not. If he is a part of your team, you give two answers. One, yes, he is. Or I can't answer the question. There's no responsible answer of I don't know what it is. I don't know the answer. I, I can't tell you the answer. That doesn't mean it was true. It's a part of it. And that's the same thing as a few days ago in Washington. Congressman Clay Higgins got Christopher Ray of the FBI to admit that, yes, they had people. FBI had sources, agents, whatever informants, human sources, they call them on January 6th. A part of it. They had people who were in the Whitmer, so-called Whitmer governor's uh, uh, kidnapping plot. Tons of FBI in that. And it has been established in court by the defense as well as admitted by the prosecution in one of the cases in dc uh, against one of the january 6 defendants that there were infiltration by the fbi at the highest level of those organizations so think about what we have and you know why i mean i guess yesterday why did we only find this out a few days after the election because they didn't want it to come out before but this should be one of the great scandals we had an entire six or seven month select committee of the Congress that never thought to ask this question? Of course they thought to ask it. They didn't ask it because it was a show trial and it didn't fit the narrative. The narrative had to be Trump supporters doing something awful when in fact nothing really awful happened and it wasn't just Trump supporters. It was FBI and other intelligence uh, and uh, uh, assets. That's what we now know. That's what's been established. That's the facts. It should be a major, major scandal on par with almost anything, because think about what we've had to go through as a country. I mean, I happen to know some of the couple of hundred uh, defendants, the stories of them. I don't know them all, but the stories of the defendants in January 6th, a lot of people have gotten a really raw deal. I mean, a really terrible deal. They've had their charges maximized and uh, and ex- exacerbated and expanded because they, the DOJ has been trying to fulfill the narrative of what, what and the select committee played along and the media played along and the big tech played along. Why isn't it that somebody's devastated that they were misled and they're actually out there saying, you know what? We thought this was something bad, but now we realize that the FBI was involved and others were involved. And we're, we're going to get to the bottom of this. They're just ignoring it. They're ignoring it. They're ignoring the fact that the great, quote, insurrection, end quote, was staffed by the FBI and others. and And we weren't told that. I mean, again, for all these months, we've had a situation where there's a select committee with people under oath and they're supposedly chasing down all the stories. They couldn't get to the story of are there any FBI agents in there of the thousands of people and hours of videotape, hundreds of thousands of I know it's tens of thousands of hours, probably about 14,000 hours of videotapes. And I don't think it's thousands of people, probably hundreds of people that enter the Capitol and thousands of interactions. Not one of these great investigators at the select committee thought to ask, was the FBI in here? And if they had, and there was some reason that they couldn't say it in public, it, uh, it should have been said, revealed in a confidential way. In other words, you don't have to say who it was. There may be some reason that they wanted to justify it. I'm not sure what that is. But we've been misled, and the country's been brainwashed. And it's it's so it's so not just insulting. It is insulting. It's so devastating at the core of the country to be in a position where, again, big government, Congress, the DOJ, big media and big tech are working together to uh, to, to push a narrative on we the people. And many, many Americans believe there was an insurrection and they think it was some sort of homegrown situation when it's the furthest thing from the truth to be frank but at least we don't know anything except what we've been lied to about and once you know you're being lied to and selectively misled how do you believe any of it how do you believe any of it i mean i believe when i see a video of a of a january sixth protester hitting a cop that guy got to go to jail you got to charge him with assault and battery but the rest of it All these kinds of conspiracies and a felony obstruction of official proceeding, which has never been used that way, never the way it's being used in this case, but it's being used to get felonies on a bunch of people. It's a terrible, terrible abuse of power, it looks like, from top to bottom. Again, we can't know because you almost don't know what questions to ask because you almost can't believe any of it. Nothing. Which... Maybe that's what you need to know. Maybe that's what you need to know is your starting point because of the lack of credibility of law enforcement in the case of January 6th and the lack of credibility of the system, whether you're talking about the select committee or even the courts, the lack of credibility makes it impossible to believe anybody. And you end up with the distrust and verify as your operating position, or your operating system is you have to distrust everything and then verify If someone tells you something, you have to distrust it. It's a heck of a way to live, by the way. You talk about exhausting. We'll talk later on as we wrap up today about the Trump announcement. And, you you know, you talk about exhausting. They will say, oh, Trump is exhausting. This is exhausting. You know what's exhausting? To have our systems be constantly operated with so little credibility. And for the people running them and the people covering them, media and big tech, to not even care. It's the same thing with the elections. The election system, they're still counting in Arizona. They're still counting. And I think I think 10, 10 house races are still counting, U.S. house races. I mean, what kind of system? They're not even trying to make it credible. Again, I don't even know if anybody committed fraud. I just know it's not a credible system. And it's certainly not a credible system that we're living in to have January 6th be covered by the media and, and fostered by big tech as something it isn't have big governments saying something it isn't and only late in the game two years plus i guess not two years one year and uh, 10 months after the incident we find out that the fbi was undercover infiltrated really really unbelievable unbelievable that's what you need to know all right when we come back uh, we will have some great interviews today i've got uh, mike davis catching up with him on his effort to try to get the majority the, he calls it unsilencedmajority.org get people uh, focused on these media platforms and we'll check in with dr marina hoffman uh, a very very smart nice woman who leads a lot of uh, she does education and does some bible study things and wrote a book and uh, she's also uh, family members of people in the canadian trucking convoy the protests and we'll get an update from her and visit about uh, what she sees going on. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. My friend Mike Davis is with us. Uh, Mike Davis, first of all Mike, uh, he wears a lot of hats and we'll get to that and especially uh, talk about uh, Twitter. He's got a piece that uh, ran over in Newsweek uh, a day or two ago about the Twitter advertisers, which I want to talk to him about. But first, your old uh, boss and I know friend and mentor and a guy that you really care for and and respect. Chuck Grassley won another term. I guess it wasn't in doubt. For a minute there were people running around saying that it was going to be a tough race. It didn't turn out to be, but uh you must have been pleased, and he must be um his career is extraordinary, I figure this is probably his last election, but uh amazing uh, uh life and work he's done
1: yeah Senator Chuck Grassley is a is the greatest senator we've ever had in Iowa. He hits all ninety nine counties every year he goes home almost every weekend he is a very powerful senator in washington dc a powerful champion for iowa but he never forgets his iowa roots because he can't he has to go home every weekend and he and his uh his 99 county tour the full grassley and barbara would never let him forget his roots so it's good (laughs) that uh, that iowa reelected uh chuck grassley he's going to be the top republican on the senate budget committee right and uh what the good thing about senator grassley is he doesn't give a damn about, uh, the, the, the swamp. And so he, he'll be, he, I think he'll be willing to take on. Uh, the big budgetary issues that that our country needs to address, but other people don't have the backbone to do.
2: So, two points, Mike Davis. One is, I hope there's somebody that's going to write a biography of him pretty quickly after he's out of office. And in, in, in or in these times of sort of heightened, uh, you know, partisanship and all, it doesn't feel like you're going to get a, a building named after you because people knew you had a great career and all. And I'm not sure that matters. But uh, the history, his history is extraordinary. I mean, it's a little bit like my old boss. Uh, the late Phyllis Schlafly. If you're around that long and lead, you're going to have been involved in a lot of stuff. The second point, which for you and I to bemoan and our listeners, we were this close You get, you get the majority in the, Re- the Republican majority in the Senate. And you've got Chuck Grassley as the chair of the Judiciary Committee for another go round. That's kind of got to feel like a, 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 a one that slipped through uh, our grasp.
1: Yeah, but I think remember Grassley will be if, if Republicans went back the senate in 2024 right uh grassley will be the judiciary committee chairman then so okay you know the, the election was a disappointment but we need to uh we need to move forward and if we don't move forward we're going to lose our country so it's important that we regroup we figure out what we did right what yeah. we did wrong and move forward
2: all right uh, mike davis uh, among the many efforts to identify uh, policy issues that are happening is the unsilencedmajority.org if you go there you'll see it's a grassroots advocacy set of organiza- an organization but a set of overlapping i'd say groups and people that are fired up about what's happened with uh, corporate censorship and and uh, the thought police in general the woke culture so uh, that's all to warm you up to this unsilencedmajority.org the piece on twitter so first so well, what's your observations on twitter i mean on one level everybody goes well it's a private company right so do what you want on the other hand we both know when it was a private company led by leftists it was stifling uh conservative voices that wasn't ideal either because of the dominance it had so give me your, your sort of general thoughts on the twitter sale and where we are
1: i think what elon musk has done here by making this terrible investment in twitter is great he's a benevolent billionaire he's trying to promote free speech worldwide he's trying to turn twitter back into the online public square which is the purpose of section 230 of the communications decency act of 1996 uh he's doing a good thing here the problem is is we're not going to be able to rely on benevolent billionaires to have free speech online even elon musk with all of his good intentions what we're seeing the left is going after elon musk in two ways because they see him as a grave threat because he's actually promoting free speech and democrats don't like free speech they they like to say that what conservatives think is misinformation and disinformation and then censor silence deplatform, and cancel us because they don't like our viewpoint and so what they're going to do to elon musk it's a going to be a two-front war number one they're doing advertiser boycotts and right, uh, right. they are going after the advertisers and saying stop advertising with Twitter because they're promoting hatred and violence or whatever crap the left is saying. So they're trying to kneecap Elon Musk with the advertisers. So Elon Musk is going to a subscription model where you pay $8 a month for a blue check mark and then you, that makes Twitter less reliant on these advertisers and more uh, and more beholden to its actual users. Well, that's not going as well as he intended. So they're they're trying to regroup on that. The next thing that they're going to do is you're going to see that the left is going to go after Elon Musk and Twitter, and they're going to call it content moderation, which is left wing speak for censorship. And what they're going to say is is that he's not doing enough content moderation at twitter so you're going to see pressure this is what they did to parlor if you don't like twitter build your own so parlor did that quickly got a 1.3 billion dollar valuation it became a serious startup threat to twitter so what happened you had the left blaming parlor for january 6th protest even though they were organized on facebook google and uh, google and apple kicked parlor out of the app store duopoly and amazon kick parlor off the internet they're going to try to do the same thing to twitter they're going to say that he's allowing too much free speech online they're going to say it's too much hatred and violence and misinformation disinformation he doesn't have enough content moderation at twitter which means censorship the advertisers are going to boycott and then they're going to try to use uh, google uh, apple and amazon to crush twitter Uh, so 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 mike
2: mike Mike, what would the what would the way to trick them into um uh like if they want to stop twitter what would what would or make twitter i know you don't want twitter to censor but you neither do you want uh these these platforms to get away with everything right i mean i I, so what would the way to make the left think oh good now we want to join you in something that amounts to getting control of these places is there uh, is there a way that that works or am i uh, am i wishfully
1: dreaming no, I, I think you're, I think there, there's certainly a way that works. And what they should probably do with these big tech platforms is maybe they should use a First Amendment standard. What, what speech would be, uh, what, what speech would be lawful under a First Amendment spe- standard? What's, what speech could the government censor under for a First Amendment standard? That might be a good way to look at it. And maybe if you don't want to go that far, at least have a standard where they're politically neutral, where you're not Using Section 230 as Section 230 is supposed to be a shield that protects these online platforms from defamation lawsuits. It's it's supposed to promote free speech, and these big tech platforms have used Section 230 as a sword, a censorship censorship sword to go after conservatives and others with whom they disagree. And I think Elon Musk is legitimately, honestly. Uh, trying to make Twitter a free speech platform, the online public square where all voices can go. Of course, if you're going on there and you're promoting violence, terrorism, right. uh, right. you know, child pornography, nobody's uh, for that. Uh, yet, s- no. Sexual assault, of course, th- those should be taken down. But it, it should be an online public square and conservatives, republicans, Trump supporters Others with whom the left disagrees should not feel like they have to self-censor or they worry about getting kicked off of Twitter. I've been kicked off five times. and <laughs> I have a voice. I can go to Congress. I can get on Fox News. I can come on your show, Ed. I can raise holy hell and shame them and get back on Twitter. Everyday Americans don't have that same opportunity. They don't have lawyers, lobbyists, right, uh, PR people like I do. And so it should, it should you should it should require that everyday Americans should be able to use these online platforms.
2: Um, we're talking with Mike Davis again. Um, I, I send you over to uh, uh, the website uh, unsilencedmajority.org. You can sign up there for uh, to get involved in lots of ways and get emails and updates on things. Um, Mike, is is Twitter in an almost, you know, perfectly unique? Po- I mean, it as a positive situation in that it is already so big I don't think they can kill it off. In other words, the, the pressure from the woke to try to force the corporations to withdraw advertisers, advertisements, it, it, it may work a little bit, but ultimately, advertisers look and say, um, "I want to go where the eyes are, where the eyeballs are, where the influence is. I'm going to go there and, and make that work." At Twitter, Parler, they, they, they killed it faster, right? And, and other, other things that can sort of end them. Does that does that help it survive? It's a, is that um, it's like Tucker Tucker Carlson. They can try to all withdraw, but I can tell you there's advertisers salivating to get to everybody get over that because they want to get to the eyeballs right just just as musk sort of beaten the the game by having twitter already sort of mature enough
1: well i don't so the problem is and i think elon musk recognizes this he said so that it's it's not a good investment of in advertising dollars right now to be on twitter you're just right. not getting a good return and so okay. he's trying to fix that where Twitter is actually a good place for these advertisers to go. Here's the deal. This is what people need to remember about these corporations. They're not left-wing. They're not woke. Coca-Cola is not actually woke. What happens is you have these pain in the butt employees and investors who raise holy hell, and the the, the right doesn't have a counter-boycott. The right doesn't have a a counter-protest. And so what happens is these corporations say, okay, we can appease these advertiser boycotts, we can appease these woke, Pain in the butt employees or, uh, or or investors to silence them. Right, there's not going to be any consequence on the right if we do this, so we're going to go ahead and do this just to shut yeah, them up, yeah, and so right. we can move forward. What we're trying to do in unsilenced majority is have a consequence on the right if these corporations cave to this nonsense.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a great idea. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's a great description of what is exactly happening. They, the problem is most of the time, there's I mean, almost all the time, the leftists that are either invest investors or uh employees or you know gadflies are all funded from the left they're they're happy to do it and on our side the conservative side and you know mike you and i've talked about this as you take these up most of our people are trying to earn a living and trying to invest their money and they don't necessarily see why would i put uh 10 uh you know mid-level staffers on on uh, on these pressuring corporations well if you're the left you see it because you can see the benefit and the right you're like wow what do you mean so it's it's almost like there's an army against us that you've got to build and that's where the grassroots as uh, you've identified unsilencedmajority.org hey mike davis thank you we'll have you back again very soon thanks for coming on
1: thank you very much ed
2: all right we'll take a break everybody we'll be right back as uh, mike mentioned he is uh he's knocked off twitter regularly for having his voice but he gets back on and he's on right now and i will put up on his social media hit links to his uh twitter account too so you can check him out he's a good follow all right we'll take a break we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, um, I don't know, a year ago, more than that, uh, Dr. Marina Hoffman came on because she had family up in... uh, She's from Canada originally and had family up in Canada and we were talking about the truckers protests and then she was down in Florida and she's a professor uh, down there and teaches and educates and writes books. Her website is womeninthebible.info. It's fascinating and that's the title of of her book also. Um, And uh, it feels like a long time. I said to, to one of my team. We should try to track down Dr. Hoffman and catch up with her again. So here we are. Uh, Dr. Hoffman, welcome back to the program. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me you're very welcome and it's great to be with you and um first let me ask you what's going up in? you know we go through cycles of of, of news right we we see the news uh, feeds us one thing and then uh now we are you know if, i guess if we're fed any information from outside of the country it's uh ukraine right now but what's happened in canada since the crackdown on the truckers and uh and and everything what what where, where are where are things up there
3: Well, I think the worst part is that really nothing much has happened. They're still unable to leave and come back into the country unless they're vaccinated. So there's all kinds of people that have not been able to see their family in years now. And if you can believe it or not, Ed, the Ontario government is literally deciding in the next few days if they're going to put a mask mandate on everyone. So, I mean... It's unbelievable. But there is some news. My husband was saying just this morning that the the second biggest party, which has aligned with Trudeau, which made Trudeau very powerful. They are now questioning that and saying that there needs to be an investigation into everything that happened with the lockdowns and why, you know, all these things. There needs to be an investigation, which is very significant because it is definitely an act against trudeau and if they no longer will support trudeau's party then he will not have the vast majority that he enjoys now that gives him the freedom to do whatever he wants to the canadians
2: uh we're talking again with uh, dr marina hoffman and uh, her a website women in the bible dot info uh, her women in the bible a small group a study um all fascinating stuff you should go there and um she's giving us her perspective her really um <laughs> report because you've got family up there um i, I again i if nothing much has changed and Trudeau has been able to stay in power, um, a lot of the frustration that people have in America, are, are they feeling it up there? I mean, you still have inflation. You still have uh, the economy's not great. Is is there, an, you know, sort of a growing grassroots energy um, that maybe mirrors the boycott or did people realize, well, the boycott uh, didn't work and people moved on and you're sort of just stuck where you're stuck?
3: I think that the whole Freedom Convoy really did open up many people's eyes to what's going on, and you saw them critically think about their decisions and think about their own freedoms, not just blindly obey the government anymore, but on the other hand, the problem in Canada is that the penalty for disobeying the government is so severe. I remember, Ed, when I lived there 10 years ago, the penalty for being seen by a police officer on your phone in the car was $1,100, and that's about 10 years ago. Imagine living in Florida where they can't even pull you over for that. It has to be a secondary Offense, and I think the the price here is like a hundred dollars the fine. The cost to post something against Trudeau was police officers coming to your door and saying, why did you post this on Facebook? And, you know, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy, but my family multiple times were talking about everything that was going on and their frustration. Their call was interrupted by someone else saying that they were spreading misinformation and the call was disconnected. I mean, it's hard to believe. I know what happened. Um, And yet it's still hard even for me to believe this happens. But when you have that kind of punishment and interference in the government, it silences people regardless of how they feel or how passionate they are about the issues they face.
2: That's a that's an that, that, I mean that's an unbelievable story. I mean that's a, I, I mean that's uh again you know like you said if people you, you can you can say you know conspiracy theory except when you hear it from someone that you know like you're like that's, this is a conspiracy this is what's what happened. Um do you uh I, I had a friend Kitty Worthman the late Kitty Worthman who was born and raised in Vienna uh Austria and she actually was raised born there in I think 1930 Oh, i get it wrong, 32 or 30. And she lived through uh, the uh, Nazi occupation. And she would tell stories about how, you, you know, creeping into our lives is um, socialism and communism. It didn't happen by only by force. A lot of people voted for it because they were. So in Canada, I mean, do you see a model that Americans need to look and you can say, hey, wait, I was I lived in that. This is what happens when government sort of grows like that. Or or is it totally different? You know, is there something about it that's just different and we're comparing apples? to oranges.
3: No, it's not totally different. And for me, living through what happened in Canada, I think the first step was people would say something that sounded crazy. And Canadians are relaxed. Now, you can say we're passive, but we're also relaxed. We tend not to get too upset about too many things, right? We're a little bit easy to forgive, perhaps. So people thought they were crazy and let them go because they're being crazy. But here living in Florida, sometimes I hear crazy things. And I remember that the crazy things that were said in Canada eventually became the law. So I think there is a lot of, there are a lot of Americans who realize that you have to stand up when politicians say crazy things and you can't just let it go. But I think that perhaps is a lesson we've seen in Canada where when people put out crazy ideas and you think, Oh, don't worry, that'll never get voted. We still need to fight that lie because it can grow in the populace, right? People can adapt to these ideas and eventually it does become law
2: where again we're talking with uh, dr marina hoffman i want to transition to uh your work uh, for these for you you're a professor of course i've talked about that before and um so that has its own uh, connection to a small group or however you want to describe that um but your book in particular one of the focuses is on small group bible study and and putting aside for a second uh, the bible part is important but after covid and in the midst of this technology, this kind of onslaught of, you know, Zoom meetings or, uh, you know, connection through texting and other apps... It feels like we have to really fight for in-person meetings and and so I don't know it's a little little silly to say bonding but kind of bonding that people you got to find ways to get together could be Bible study could be study the Constitution could be a book club uh, I, I tend to think that the faith communities pull us more naturally to that because we're sort of used to that but d- don't you see that and, and I guess is that does that give you renewed energy that hey you know how this can be valuable, but almost more importantly, just being in the presence of frankly, uh, anyone and particularly non-family, you know, people that are either strangers or friends or whatever seems really, really important.
3: Absolutely. You know, I'm a little bit introverted, so I'm usually happy at home, but there was something different about the lockdowns where it wasn't really my choice to stay home, but I felt compelled to stay home. And one of the saddest things for me is when I love getting hugs. But when I would see a dear friend, I would be afraid of standing within two or three feet, be very hesitant to reach out and give them a hug. Sometimes I was afraid to even make too much noise, which was unrelated. But you just had the sense that we better not disturb things. We better not upset the person. And, you know, for me, Ed, I came to realize after about two years, I was slowly dying. Isolation was death for me. And I needed to connect again with other human beings I needed to be embraced to be hugged to laugh together to relax to lift off the burden of the two years and have fellowship again and you know you talk about the church i think that's a beautiful potential to bring people back again but how heartbreaking that many churches also shut down at the very time that people really needed to be together and they needed somewhere to turn so i think Certainly in my community, there's even a push to create that human bond again with one another ourselves and not to look to the people in the church or anywhere else, but to create those friendships and to say never again will we be isolated.
2: We're again. We're talking with uh, Dr. Marina Hoffman, uh, professor, author, um, and uh, her website is WomenInTheBible.info. It's got videos there. It's got she's got her social media links up um, and uh, public speaking and all. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I don't know if it's it's the top of your mind because you're worried. I think about community and 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 scripture and all. But what did you think about the election? You, I know you're based in Florida, and but you saw the na- the national and you see it all. How was what was your reaction to the the, the, the election and where we are.
3: Well, Ed, at first, I was very hesitant to be happy that the governor was elected (laughs) simply because I remember what happened when I thought Trump was elected and I woke up and the whole world changed. That was astounding. And when I say shocking... I really was shocked. For two or three days, I was stunned. But then after about an hour, when Fox News endlessly kept, uh, you know, coming back to the story, and I was there at the watch party, then I thought, okay, I guess he will be governor. Do you know what the second reaction I had was incredible relief, because I didn't realize how terrified I was when Chris got up and said he does not oppose another mask mandate. And Ed, it wasn't even for myself. It was for my little four year old. I can't I cannot bear the idea that I would have to mask her after surviving the first round of that. So I felt incredibly relieved. And you know what? We have hopefully four more years of freedom here in Florida, at least freedom to make our own decisions, Ed, whether or not we want to wear a mask or anything else like that
2: it certainly is you your, your reaction that's interesting you said that, uh, that reminded me about that people went to bed so many people went to bed thinking trump won on 2020 and then you know woke up and it was shifting uh, amazing so well uh, dr marina Hoffman, we'll put up on social media a link to your website i'll say it again uh, women in uh and thank you for your time you're you're a great uh commentator on where we are and i encourage you and we'll talk again very soon Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, uh, Dr. Marina Hoffman. Um, And again, I'll put up on social media links to her book as well as her website. And we will take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly.
4: America is the most prosperous nation in the world, and the biggest single reason for this is our unique patent system that protects the rights of inventors. No other country encourages ingenuity as the United States does. Delegates to the Constitutional Convention in 1787 took a break one afternoon to ride on a new invention called the steamboat. John Fitch was inspired to invent the steamboat after having been held captive earlier by Indians and having recurring nightmares of being chased by canoes. He wanted automated paddles that could propel a large boat, which his new steamboat did. His invention impressed the delegates, who then included in the Constitution the patent clause to encourage more inventions. John Fitch obtained his patent on his steamboat. A century later, Thomas Edison was motivated by our unique patent system to invent the record player, motion pictures, the light bulb, and an electronic voting machine for Congress. But big business opposed the small inventors because new inventions are a threat to the status quo. For example... Manufacturing the automobile caused horse and buggy companies to go out of business. So big business tries to pass laws to take rights away from small inventors and deprive the future Thomas Edisons and Alexander Graham Bells of the incentives they need to work hard on new inventions. Motivated by our patent system, Thomas Edison tried and failed 10,000 times at building a workable light bulb before he succeeded. Edison said, I have not failed 10,000 times. I have not failed even once. I have succeeded in proving that those 10,000 ways will not work. We should all be on guard against future attempts by big business to weaken the rights of small inventors. Our future prosperity depends on our traditional patent system.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. American ingenuity should be celebrated and rewarded. Individual inventors should be protected from any threat, foreign or domestic, that would steal their patents and profits. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to stand up for those who work hard, innovate, and dream big. If that's you, join us at phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, let's finish uh, covering the Trump announcement, the Trump announcement. And I think something that everybody is sort of com- commenting on, but I'm going to say more specifically because I know a little background. I actually know a little bit about uh, the effort uh, uh, of Trump to develop the speech that he gave and sort of the, uh, the uh, spirit with which he gave it, shall we say. So what I would tell you is the Trump announcement was exactly what he intended. And I would capture I would encapture it by saying when Jeb Bush tweeted in the middle of Donald Trump's speech and said, low energy, Trump, we should get a new candidate or something. That's exactly what Trump wanted. Now, I'm not saying every aspect of the speech was perfect, by the way. I am saying, though, that what he wanted was to fit the moment and what people uh, didn't expect, meaning. People expected Donald Trump to announce for re-election and complain about the past and yell and call people names. He didn't do any of that. In a gilded room, a historic 120- or 30-year-old room, a ballroom, he gave a somber-sounding speech. He had a little bit of energy in the middle where he went off uh, text. But in general, he basically delivered a straightforward speech with some policy chops, not much, with a few interesting twists with a few thank yous here and there but it was in general a very uh, uh solemn is the wrong word but it was if you watched it it was he was reading the speech he was delivering it sort of uh evenly he was not um going off he went off on a couple of tangents right i think he did get he did get uh drawn into a couple of tangents i can't remember now which ones they were but some of them, sometimes they go on for 10 minutes it seems but in general by doing something that was a little bit more uh, solemn, a little bit slower, a little bit less over the top, he did what? One, he didn't sound like they said he was going to sound, uh, yelling and screaming. So he defied expectations in that way. But two, he forced everybody to have a conversation that he sounded more dull, that he sounded more solemn, that he sounded more uh, serious. And they tried to say something like, what's wrong with him? But while they're saying what's wrong with him, everybody's talking about how solemn he sounded and how serious he sounded and how he sounded like somebody who was, um, you know, delivering his uh, uh, comments um, with a little less energy. So I kind of think what he did was trick everybody into talking about what he wanted them to talk about, which is he's going to be a little different this time. And I think he probably knew – that he wasn't going to get as much coverage as he has in the past. You know, it wasn't gavel-to-gavel coverage, to coin a phrase. It was, you know, in the old days when he spoke, they would cover the beginning, they'd cover the end, they'd cover the middle, they'd cover everything. Now, because of the media's uh, antagonism and lots of other things, they didn't cover it like that. It's not like 2015. And I think he knew that was going to happen. I think he knew that he wasn't going to get the same kind of coverage, and therefore he delivered something different. And the something different meant that they covered his speech even if in snippets and others because of how he did it i think it was pretty ingenious i think it was pretty ingenious i think um i think he knows exactly what he was doing knew exactly what he was doing and i think it was effective and look i think there's going to be a primary right and people are going to run i think he's not afraid of that but he needed to get in there and lay down the marker and i think he did it very well i think people were uh, interested and as i said they're talking about him and him being different which might just be enough to take some of the edge off uh some of the people that are worried about him and make it make it even more successful we'll see all right we got to run thank you to noah dingley our producer joanna spielger our associate producer and thank you for listening i'll be back tomorrow it's ed martin here on the pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report
0: on the answer san diego